Let's get into the Word of God today. We are in a series of sermons entitled, uh, Focusing on Your Destiny. We've actually been talking about the new year for about a month now. And um, again, as I've said before, normally in the month of December, I talk about um, uh, events leading up to the birth of Jesus. But this year, uh, God kind of dealt with me about getting us ready for the new year uh, far in advance. And so this series, we're in part four today. Again, next week we will begin part five. And uh, last Sunday was a Christmas sermon. If you were not here, I would encourage you to, when that sermon is put online, that you go back and listen to that, a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ as we talked about his birth into this world. Uh, for several weeks, again, we've been talking about how to focus your life how to uh, know what to leave out and what to include. I've challenged you over the last few weeks to get right with God in your walk with Him, intimate with Him, so He can guide you in making a list, making some list of things that you want Him to do in your life, some goals for the new year. Um, We've been talking about coming up with some plans. And the way we do that is we begin with prayer. Now, we're going to talk about prayer today in quite a bit of detail, but this all begins with prayer. Because really, you don't know where to start on your list until you've talked to him and allowed him to bring some guidance and direction into your life. So you've been praying and You've been making your list. I know you have. I know right now if I were to call you up here on the stage, every one of you would be able to show me your list, and that just excites me so much to know that that is true, that you have your list. Don't make me come down there. Uh, developing your God-given strategies for your life, uh, for yourself, for your family, for your marriage as we enter the new year. Now, what passage of Scripture have we been looking at to draw from that would teach us how to do this? Well, that passage is Genesis chapter 24, and we're doing what is called an expository sermon series, and that's verse by verse, squeezing all the juice out of these verses uh, that we can. And uh, Genesis 24 teaches us the principles we need to know so that we can focus on our destiny. Let me give you a little bit of background about Genesis 24, those of you who haven't been here during the series. Um, this is a story of Abraham, and uh, God has spoken to Abraham and told him he is going to be the father of a great nation. And so Abraham has a son. He and his wife Sarah have a son. That son is Isaac. And Abraham looks around one day, and Isaac is of marrying age, and uh, he doesn't even see Isaac dating anybody. And so he gets really serious about finding Isaac a wife. And uh, he realizes, I can't be the father of a great nation if Isaac doesn't get busy. And so he says, I've got to get Isaac a wife. And so Abraham, in Genesis 24, calls in his servant. His servant's name is Eleazar. And he tells Eleazar, I want you to go to Iraq because that's where Abraham was from. He says, I want you to go back to the land of our people, the land we came from, and I want you to find there a wife for Isaac, and I want you to bring her back that he might marry her and that they might have many offspring and, and this great nation that God has promised uh, will begin to multiply. So this passage 
in the book of Genesis, chapter 24, has huge implications for you. Huge implications for me. This passage has applications for our lives sitting in here. Now, what I told you, and I want to remind you again, is that Eleazar, when you study Genesis 24, you will find that Eleazar did nine things. He did nine specific things that caused his dream to come true, that caused the vision for his life to become a reality. And what we're going to do is look at those nine things. We've already looked at three of them. We're going to look at four, the fourth one today that he did. Now, ladies and gentlemen, listen carefully. You can listen to this sermon. You can amen this sermon. You can say that was really nice. And then you can go and eat your Bojangles chicken right after you leave here. And you can forget all about this. Or you can let this passage from the Word of God change your life. Now that is up to you. It's up to you. It's up to me. I can get up here and I can just preach this series and then I can forget about it, move on to the next sermon series, or I, your pastor, can allow this passage to change my life. That is my challenge for myself first, and it is my challenge for you. I promise you, I guarantee you, That if you will follow the teaching of Genesis 24, your life in a positive way will never be the same. Your life will never be the same. So please do not let this series just pass you by. Let's get hold of it. Let's work it. you got to work it. You know, it's one thing to have a plan. It's another thing to work that plan. And what I'm giving you in this sermon series and what God's giving me is a strategy, a plan, so that the things we have dreamed of, the visions God has put in our heart for our life, the goals God has given us, we can see them become a reality. So let's look at the things we've already talked about. First of all, step one, you got to determine where you are right now. you you got to let God be your GPS And let God tell you where you are right now because until you know where you are right now, you're not going to know how to get where you need to be. And the people said, you might not have understood that, but I just really needed an amen right there. And so you've got to determine where you are right now and you've got to determine what you need to change to get where you want to be. So that's the first step. Step number two, you've got to describe exactly what you want. This is where the list comes in. This is where making the list, you got to make the list. Ink on paper, text on computer, however you do it. I want you to make a list of your dreams. Make a list of your goals. Make a list. You say, well, what if I write something down God doesn't like? Then he'll tell you he doesn't like that. He's your dad. God is your dad. He's not a policeman with a billy club hoping you'll do something wrong so he can hit you over the head with it. Stop seeing God like that. He is your father. If you have received the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, you've been born the second time into the family of God, then God is your daddy. He is your father. And when you write something down on that list that shouldn't be there, maybe it's selfish, or maybe it's the motivation isn't right about that, then God will speak to you about that. So start making your list, and don't be afraid to write down whatever comes to your heart. 
Now, I told you all that I wrote Corvette on my list because I'm 56 years old and Corvettes are still really cool to me. And, uh, you know, when I was young, Corvettes got the ladies. And uh, I've got my lady now, but I think if I got a Corvette, you know what I'm saying? And so, so somebody last week gave me a Corvette. It's one of those little matchbox Corvettes. But here's why I love that gift. It is a visual of my dream. So every day I bow at that Corvette. No. Uh, but write down whatever. Write it down. You've got to describe what you want. The Bible tells us that Abraham in Genesis 24, 3 through 4, Abraham defined very specifically what he wanted for Isaac. He told Eleazar in great detail what kind of young lady he wanted his son to marry. He was very descriptive. You will never reach a vague goal. you got to be specific. Write it down. Write it down. You say, well, I don't want to offend God. Well, stop worrying about that. Listen, he loves you. He's for you. You say, yeah, but sometimes my selfishness comes out, and I don't want him to see that. You think he hadn't already seen that? Write it down. Write it down. Let God teach you. Let God teach you. You know, writing down something that doesn't belong on that list, that's a teaching moment for God. (coughs) Excuse me. That's a teaching moment for God to be able to show you what should be the priorities in your life. So don't be afraid to write down. Write down your vision. Write down your dream. When you're going to be specific in your goals, there are four questions you need to ask. What do I want to be? What do I want to do? What do I want to have? And the fourth question is, what is my motivation for wanting that? What is my motivation about that? What do, why do I want it? And then step number three, we talked about uh, Sunday before last, two weeks ago. And that is once you, once you have determined where you are, and once you have written down and described, your, and you look, you're going to always be working on this list. As a matter of fact, uh, I want your list to be all crinkly, and I want you to have notes in the margin, and I want to be able to see where you scratch stuff out and added other stuff. And you're always working on that list. You work on it throughout the whole year. And you're working on that list, and God is refining you. And God is refining your thinking, and God is refining your perspective. And God is helping you by making this list and praying over it. God is helping you see things the way he sees things. And when you begin to see things the way he sees things, then Psalm 37.4 comes true. I think that's the reference, 37.4. Look that up, make sure. It says, it says, once you delight in the Lord, once you find your full delight in him, Then you can ask whatever you want, and he will grant you the desires of your heart. And so what you want to do is, first of all, uh, find your delight in him. Not in money, not in things, not in a person, but your delight is in him. Now, do I have delight in Millie? Absolutely. Do I have delight in my two boys most of the time? (laughs) Yes, I do. 
Do I have delight in you? Yes, you are my friends. You are my family. You are the wonderful people who come to the church that I'm so honored to pastor. But my primary delight is in him. We have delight in other things, but those things cannot come before him. When he is our primary delight, then our mind becomes like his mind. And we begin to pray for things that are his will, and they begin to happen in our life, and prayer begins to be answered. That's good preaching right there. So, so you got to describe what you want. Now, step three is find a promise. Discover a promise from God. And uh, we are going to get that book. I don't know if we've got it in the bookstore yet, but we're going to get that book of promises. Uh, so you can uh, get that book and put it beside your goals and match scriptures with your, prom- with your goals that you have re- written down. There are over 7,000 promises in the Bible. Now, some of them are to the Jewish people only, but it just lets you know that the God we serve is a God of promises. That old hymn, standing on the promises, that's how we live victoriously, standing on the promises. So you got to get in the Word. Here's how it goes. Listen. It goes like this. God makes promises in his word. You read his word and become aware of those promises. Then you believe what you read. Then you act on his promises and you trust him to keep his promises. And then he rewards you for trusting and obeying him. Isn't that very simple? We make the Christian life so complex, so hard. When people come to me and go, I'm just confused, I'm just confused, I already know what's going on. There's something God's leading them to do that they don't want to do. There's something God's leading them to do that they don't want to do. So they say, I'm confused, I'm just confused. And, and so it's very simple. You, you pray, you determine where you are, you write down where you want to be, who you want to be, then you go to the Word of God, you match the promises of God with those goals, and then God rewards you. In Genesis 24, 5, Eleazar got very nervous and worried, wondering how in the world all, could, all this could be done. He offers up a bunch of excuses why this girl isn't going to want to come back with him. And, 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 and he just begins to go into all these what ifs, what ifs, what ifs. And Abraham stops him in Psalm 24, 7 and says, but God has made a promise. And if God has made a promise, Eleazar, God will grant what he has called us to do. He will make it a success. And the size of your God will determine the size of your goals. Now let's look at the fourth step today, the fourth step. Here's what we want to do now. We want to ask God for help. We've got our list. We prayed. We wrote down some things. We, we, God told us to scratch out some things. We go to the Word of God. We find the Scriptures. We match them to these things we've written down. And and all of a sudden, we're, we're just, you know, we're clicking. We got this plan going. And now, listen carefully, it's time to really press in and pray. It's time to really, really press in and begin to pray like you've never prayed. As a matter of fact, I want to just give you very quickly, and I'm going to do this very quickly so don't get nervous. I'm going to give you 10 questions, and, and you're not going to have time to write them down probably. So if you'll just email me at feral at bridgechurch.cc, I'll send you all my sermon notes. You can have all my sermon notes. It's just $10 a copy. It's free. 
It's free. Just send me an email, feral at bridgechurch.cc. If we're friends on Facebook, just send me a Facebook message. Tell me you want my sermon notes. I'll send you all these notes. But let me give you 10 questions you need to ask yourself. Now, this is going to help you with your list, the list we're making. I'm going to give you three categories. First of all, I want to give you some questions to ask about your spiritual life. Then I want to give you some questions to ask about your physical life. I I hate those questions, don't you? And, And then I want to give you some questions to ask about your emotional life. So let's talk about spiritual first because is that most important? Absolutely. Here, here's some questions. Here's three questions. How is my ro- love relationship with Jesus? How is my love relationship with Jesus? How is it? Another way to ask that is where am I with God? Where am I with God? Where am I right now with God? Second one you want to ask is if I truly love Jesus as I say I do, are others around me able to see it? by how I reflect him in my life. If I love Jesus the way I say I love Jesus, can people see that in me? Can people see Jesus in me? The third question under spiritual is, what do I need to change so that more of my heart belongs to him? What do I need to do differently so that more of my heart belongs to him so that people can see more of him in me? That's good questions right there. That's conviction. That's convicting stuff, isn't it? Because I got to tell you, when I put these together, they were convicting me. Now, you're not going to be able to write it all down. So what you want to do is ask God for help. Ask God for help. We're talking about asking God for help. Asking God for help. Physical. Y'all ready for this one? Physical. Am I taking care of my body? You say, really, is that so important? Well, it's not as important as your spiritual life. Paul tells us that. But it is important because your body is called a what? Temple. Temple of God. You taking care of the temple? You taking care of the temple? What do I need to add to my life to become healthier? What do I need to do that I'm not doing to be healthier? And then what do I need to take away? (laughs) from my life so I'll be healthier. So the temple will be healthier. That's good stuff right there. Emotional. Emotional questions. Joy. What's your joy level like? Here's some questions. Am I joyful about my life right now? Am I happy with my life the way it is right now? Am I happy about that? Am I joyful about that? Am I here? These questions will make you write some stuff down. Am I excited about the future? Am I excited about the future? What do I need to add to my life to increase my joy? Not my happiness, but my joy. What do I need to get out of my life that will also increase my joy? Hey, that question could be who do I need? to get out of my life. Did I say that out loud or was I just thinking that? I think I just said it out loud, didn't I? Who do I need to get out of my life so I can have an increase in joy? That doesn't mean you need to get rid of your husband and it doesn't mean you need to get rid of your wife. Let me make that real clear. 
But it does mean that you might be hanging around with some folks that instead of you influencing them toward God, they're influencing you away from God. I just preach right there. Ask God for help. Ask God for help. What are you waiting for? Ask God to help you. God wants to help you. God wants to help you. He is not against you. You say, you don't know what I did last night. I don't care what you did last night. God is not against you. God is for you. Cry out to him. Cry out to him. Cry out to him. Ask him for help. He wants to help you. I don't, I don't know what that just meant to you right there, but i got to tell you, that was not part of my plan today. God, I just really sensed the Holy Spirit right there wanting me to say that very simple thing over to you, to you over and over again, because some of you don't believe that. Some of you don't believe God wants to help you. You've failed. You've dropped the ball. You've messed up. That's why, and, and I really hadn't gone into detail with Pastor Jared. Pastor Jared selects our videos that run right before the sermon. And um, when he showed me the video and ran it by me, I thought, man, this dude's been looking at my sermon notes. You are not your failure. You are not your sin. You are not something you've done. That's not who you are. It might be what you did, but it's not who you are. He wants to help you. He loves you. He weeps for you. When you hurt, he suffers. He hurts. Somebody in the house needs to hear that today. Well, let's look at where Eleazar did that. Look at Genesis 24, 12. Look at this verse. The Bible says, we're just going verse by verse, verse by verse through Genesis 24. Look at what Eleazar do, does. Then Eleazar, let's say it out loud. Then Eleazar, here's a good way to start your prayer. Oh, Lord God. Some of y'all trying to pray them King James prayers. Stop. Father, if I cometh before thee. You think you got to shine like Shakespeare when you pray. Eleazar is really worried about this trip and worried about disappointing Abraham and he's worried about disappointing God. And man, he hits his knees in the hallway and slides up to the bed and says, Oh, Lord God. Oh, Lord God, and look, look what he says, because he gets the picture. He, I love this because Eleazar gets the big picture. It isn't just about him bringing Isaac back the right wife so he'll look good. He's a team player. Do you understand what I'm saying right here? Eleazar says, oh, Lord God of my what? Master. Abraham, give me, hard to say, isn't it? It's hard to pray for success. 
So we're going to say it again, and you're going to say it louder, and you're going to say it like you mean it, or I'm coming down there. All right, y'all ready? Then Eleazar prayed, O Lord God of my master Abraham, give me. You can pray for success. Give me success and show this kindness. Here he is making it about Abraham again. Not making it about him. Eleazar is a team player. He says, I want you to show this same kindness to my master, Abraham. Look at those next two words and say them loud. Help me. There are people sitting in this sanctuary this morning, and you're thinking right now. I mean, you're holding back tears, man. You're holding back because you've got some junk going on. And not only do you have junk going on in your circumstances, he's all up in your head talking to you and putting you down and lying to you. And I'm telling you this morning, if you did what you felt like doing right now and you let yourself go right now, you'd say, help me. And Eleazar says, help me to accomplish the list, Pastor Farrell. That's what I'm calling on you to do. I want you to pray that prayer. God, I'm going to make my list. Help me, God, to accomplish the purpose of my journey. Every one of you have a purpose, and every one of you are on a journey. Look at that last sentence. Help me accomplish the purpose of my journey. Right there is the prayer. Right there it is. If I can get you this morning to just accept the fact that you're on a journey God put you on and that you have a specific purpose in this world, that's your prayer right there, that last sentence. When I talk about asking God to help you, that's the prayer right there. Help me to accomplish the purpose of my journey. And here's what's happened is the enemy has come to some of you and told you you don't have a purpose. He's come to you and told you that you are no help to anybody. He, he's, he's come to you and told you you're like that person Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He talked about people who were nobodies. And, and the enemy's convinced you that you're one. And that you're never going to do anything great and you're never going to make a difference. And not only are you not going to do anything great and not only are you not going to make a big difference in this world and impact for the kingdom of God and good. As a matter of fact, all you are is you just mess up everything. And I'm calling on you this morning not to believe it. I'm standing before you this morning telling you don't believe that. You say, well, I, I don't really go to church or I actually go to church. I don't care where you go to church. I'm telling you, take this message everywhere you go. Don't believe that lie. You are precious to him. The Bible says that it is God's will that not any should perish. The Bible tells us that there are no big I's and little U's in the kingdom of God. The Bible tells us that God is not a respecter of person. The Bible tells us that Bob, that Bob, that's uh, God's brother, Bob, but, um, <laughs> that God doesn't, doesn't look at you one way and another person another way, that God doesn't, doesn't love Billy Graham more than he loves you, that God doesn't love Paul more than he loves you. Hey, God doesn't love Bob more than he loves you. 
God loves everybody the same. And you have a, you have a purpose. Your life has a purpose on the journey of life. And you can ask God to help you accomplish the purpose. And the reason a lot of you aren't making much progress is because you're not asking God to help you. You know what you want to do? You know what some of you want to do? You want to go out and do good and then run back to God and say, look what I did good. And then you think God will look at you and go, okay, since you did something good, I'm going to bless you. You can't do anything good apart from him. You can't do anything good apart from him. You don't go do something good and then come back and go, look, Daddy, look what I did. Now do you love me? Listen to me. He loves you, period. He loves you if all you've got to bring to him this morning is a mess. You go to him first. You go to him first because you really can't accomplish anything until you've first gone to him so he can guide you into what he wants you to do, until he can show you your purpose, and so he can equip you and walk with you. We can't do good apart from him. Some of you are waiting until you can do something and then come back to God, and then God will like you because you did something good, and you think God doesn't like you when you do something bad. No, 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 that is false teaching. There is nothing you can do to make God love you any less. You can go out and rob a bank. Be hard to today because they're all closed. But anyway, you could go out and rob a convenience store today. You could go out and do some terrible thing. He won't love you any less. Will it break his heart? Yes. Will he weep? Yes. Will it make him love you less? No. Tell you something else. You can't go out and do anything today that's going to make him love you more. But our people left. Here, uh, right after church last Sunday, and went straight to the soup kitchen and handed out uh, the gifts that you guys bought to the people who are literally, many of them, living on the street. But that didn't make God love them more. They were simply obeying God and walking in God's purpose for their life. Doesn't make God love them more. God doesn't love them more than he loves you. You say, well, I've never helped a, a poor person or a homeless person. You know God loves people more if they... No, he doesn't. God never changes. The love of God never changes. The love of God for you is always the same. It never changes. Somebody needs to hear that today. So we come to the question of, is it okay to pray for success? Obviously it is. It's right here in the Bible. Matter of fact, when I thought about that, is it okay for me to pray for success? I thought, well, if God goes, no, you cannot pray for success. You, that makes you selfish. That makes you self-centered. You cannot pray for success. Then, if that's true, then I would be more spiritual if I said, God, I want to be a failure. Wouldn't that make me more spiritual? I mean, if praying for success makes me selfish, then I would need to pray for failure, and that would make me more spiritual. You see, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. You pray and you ask God, help me to accomplish. Give me success. 
Matter of fact, if you want to fail, you don't even have to do anything. Just don't, just do nothing. Because, see, if you do nothing, you won't accomplish his, say it, purpose for your journey, your life. All you have to fail is do nothing. All you have to do to fail is do nothing. We're always hearing warnings about how Christians shouldn't pray for success. So then, if that's true, and it makes me more spiritual if I don't pray for success, then the alternative is that what do I pray for then? Now, we want to let God define success, not the world. Amen, amen. But you can pray for God to help you accomplish what he's put you on this earth for. God, listen, God wants to help you be all he made you to be. He wants to help you. Everybody say, God wants to help me. Say it again. God wants to help me. So I have to pray for him to help me. Because... He wants to help me. In Jesus' name, amen. That word amen means so be it. Drive down a nail right there. Drive down a stake. God wants you to develop the talents he's given you. God wants to bless you so you can be a blessing to other people. God wants you to be successful so you can be a blessing. Not just so you can become some rich, arrogant person who spends everything on yourself and only lives for yourself. God doesn't bless selfishness. We know that. He doesn't bless self-centeredness. So first you come to God and say this. Listen. You say, God, you want me to be successful. And I know you want me to be successful so I can help other people and so I can honor you. So dear God, Give me success so I can help other people. Give me success so I can contribute to the kingdom of God and more men and women and boys and girls will come to know you. Lord Jesus, dear God, help me be everything you want me to be. Look what it says in Hebrews 4.16. Hebrews 4.16. So let us come how? All right. That was very weakly. So let us come boldly to the throne of our what? Gracious God. And this speaks of prayer. That phrase right there. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. That speaks of prayer. There we, there we will receive. There we will. There we will receive. There we will receive his mercy and we will find to help us. There it is again. To help us. And then the little note I put in here, remember, ask God to help you. To help us when we need it. <laughs> when do we need it? 24-7, 365. Because I'm telling you right now, if God withdraws his mercy at this very moment, if God withdraws his grace at this very moment, everybody in here would cease to live. 
we got to ask God for help. Some of you, some of you, and I know this is very simple preaching today, but some of you are just not asking God to help you. And the reason you're not asking God to help you is because you've bought into this thing that God doesn't want to hear from you unless you're perfect. A lot of you sitting here are going, when I get this together and when I get that out of my life and I get things straightened out and I get this stuff right because I'm living in some sin, Pastor, and I'm doing some, and so when I get all that straight, then I'm going to come to God. You can't get it all straight until you do come to God. He's going to help you with that stuff. As a matter of fact, it blesses his heart that you see that it's not a good thing in you and that you want to come to him and ask him to help you get it out. You say, Pastor, you sound like you've been there. I have been there. Bought many t-shirts. Done that. Let's look at how Eleazar prays. Look, in verse 12, he prays. Uh, Eleazar prays. Uh, in verse 12, before he starts out. I thought I had a slide for that. I'm sorry. Uh, in verse 12, he prays before he starts out. In verse 15, he prays after he arrives in Iraq. There it is. In Genesis 24, Eleazar prays in verse 12. Then, and, and in verse 12, what he's praying for, he hasn't gone to Iraq yet to get Isaac's wife. So he's praying before he goes. And then in verse 15, he, he arrives in Iraq. And when he arrives in Iraq, first thing he does is what? Pray. And then in verse 52, he's standing there with Rebecca, who, excuse me, who's going to be Isaac's future wife. He's standing there with uh, um, Isaac's future in-laws, and he is praying because he's about to attempt to convince them to let Rebecca come with him back to marry Isaac. And so he prays in verse 12, and he prays in verse 15, and he prays in verse 52. Because you've got to constantly, consistently be asking God to help you. So here's the deal. You made your list. Now you start praying over that list. You start praying over those goals. And when you're praying... And when you're reading your Bible, God's going to speak to you. God's going to, you're going to sense God. And you say, well, what if I'm not absolutely positively sure it's him? Well, just go ahead and just write it down in your notes. Write this down. Write, I think God was saying blah, blah, blah here. Just put it down. I think he was saying that. Sometimes I don't know if it's God. It's like Pastor Jimmy says at staff meetings on Tuesday. He, Pastor Jimmy's about to say something, and he goes, now, guys, I don't know if this is God or gas. So, so sometimes we don't know if it's God. And sometimes I've said God said something, and later I went, mm, I don't think God said that. I think I was just hoping God said that. That's, how, that's where we find, if you go back in that verse in Hebrew, God's gracious and merciful. He lets, us, he lets us mess up. You don't have to get everything perfect. You say, well, I'm afraid he'll send a lightning bolt down and just take me out. Dude, you would have been gone a long time ago if that was his method. You seen those old bug zappers in the summer? I mean, God would have done zapped y'all. I know you people. He would, y'all, ooh, we wouldn't even needed this sanctuary. We could have met over there in that little mobile home. Mm, I'd still be here, but y'all... 
So you made your list, now start praying over it. Pray over those goals, pray over those dreams, pray over those life vision, that life vision. Some of you got talent, some of you are artists and you've dreamed of being an artist and everywhere you've turned, you've been slapped around, told, are you kidding me, seriously, you're going to be an artist? You, some of you have wanted to do different things in your life and I don't know, it might have been a parent, might have been a teacher, might have been a close friend, somebody that just really has an impact in your life and, and um, they've just put you down. Every time you've brought up your dream, they put you down. That's the enemy. That's the enemy working through people we love, working through people we care about, but the enemy works through them to put our dream down. I want you to just, I want you to just quit looking for confirmation from those kind of folks and I want you to get on your face before God. And put that dream before him. Put that life vision before him. Put those goals before him. Ask for his help. Let me close with this. Your prayer life reveals two things about, about you. Number one, your prayer life reveals how serious you are about your dreams. I mean, if you're not consistently asking God to help you with your dreams, then your lack of prayer reveals that you really don't care very much about your so-called dream uh, that you believe is in your heart. You really don't care about it that much. Uh, you might talk about how you care about it, but what really reveals whether you care about your dream, your vision for your life, God's destiny for you becoming a reality is really what reveals that is how much you're praying about it and asking him to help you with it. It's not a genuine deep desire when you don't pray about it. It's just a whim. Uh, my boys, when they were little, we used to live in Cary, Raleigh area before we moved to the metropolis of Princeton. And um, we went to Toys R Us a lot. I, I still love that place. And we, we went to Toys R Us. And, uh, you know, when you go in there with two little boys, uh, there are two words that are said over and over and over. I want, I want, I want, I want that. I want that. I want that. Sometimes I would get them saying, I want, I want, I want, and then I'd take them down the Barbie aisle just to see if they'd just keep going. Sometimes they would say, I want that, and, uh, and I would say, no, we're, you're not going to get that, and they'd just forget about it. And that wasn't something that was a deep desire in their heart. It was just a whim. They saw it. It had flashing lights. It was sparkly, so they said, I want it. Now listen carefully to what I'm about to say. But sometimes they would fixate on something. And every time we go in Toys R Us, they'd go right back to that same thing, that same toy or that same video game or that same whatever. And as a daddy, I realized that that particular thing was not just a whim, but it was something that was a deep desire of their heart. And when I would notice that as their father, that kind of thing made it onto a Christmas list. When they were really passionate about something and they kept going back to it over and over again, it made it on a birthday list. And they were far, far, far more likely to get that when I realized how passionate they were about it. 
And your prayer life reveals how passionate you are. See, you can talk about what's important in your life. You can talk about and you can cry and talk about what you want to see changed in your life and how you want to see things different. I'm going to tell you what really reveals how serious you are. How much are you asking God to help you with that? How much are you praying about that? The second thing your prayer life reveals is how much you're depending on God. You see, you can't tell me how much something means to you if you're not asking God to help you because if you're not asking God to help you, then you're depending on yourself to accomplish it. You're not depending on him, you're depending on yourself. Depending on God means that you consistently pray about it. You consistently come back to him and say, God, I really need your help in this vision. I really need your help in this goal. I really need your help in changing this area of my life. How much you're depending on God shows up in how much you pray about the things you want to see taken out of your life. Some things need to be taken out of our life. And how much you pray about the things you want to see come into your life. So your prayer life, my prayer life, hey guys, I'm, I'm not pointing. You know, when I point, there's three fingers this way. I can get up here and talk about what's important to me. God's looking to see how important it is because it's revealed in my prayer life. Now, I want to give you something to study when you get home. Luke 11, I think I have a slide on that as well. Thank you. Luke 11 um, uh, verses 1 through 13. Now, I've got a 3 there. I'm sure that's my mistake. Uh, Luke 1 through 13 is a story, a parable of the three loaves. And I'm not going to get into it this morning, <clears throat> but it's one of the most interesting parables Jesus ever gave. He tells the story of a man living in a neighborhood and a stranger stops by his house. And the Bible, uh, if you study the Bible, if you study the, the Orient and the customs of the Orient, if a stranger ever came by your house, and I don't think this was really a stranger, it might have been a friend who uh, this person had not seen in a long time, um, when they stop by, you always feed them. I don't know about you all, but I really like that custom, amen? But, but when his unexpected guest stopped by in Luke 1, in Luke 11, 1 through 13, when his unexpected guest stopped by, he didn't have any food. And it was midnight. I mean, it was really, really late. And the Bible tells this story. Jesus tells the story about how the man went to his neighbor's house and started beating on the door at midnight going, I need some bread up in here. And his neighbor says, who is it? And he goes, hey, man, it's Roscoe, <laughs> your next door neighbor, and I've had a guest stop by and I don't have any food to give him. And the guy yells back, I'm already in bed. The children are already in bed. I've already tucked them in. Go away. But the Bible says that guy would not go away. And he kept beating on the door. Until finally, the Bible says, because of his importunity. Now that word means persistence. Because of his perseverance, his neighbor who was in bed, he was ticked off, but he got up, got him some bread, and went, here's your bread. 
Now, listen, listen to me. Luke 11, 1 through 13, Jesus is teaching about prayer. And he says that sometimes your prayers are not going to be answered until you knock and keep on knocking. Until you persistently seek and keep on seeking. And then you will find. Look at James 5.15. Last, last thing I want to give you. James 5.15. The earnest. The King James Version says the effectual fervent prayer. The earnest prayer, not just prayer. Father, if I cometh before thee. That is not impressive to God. Here's what moves heaven. What moves heaven is, everybody say it with me. The earnest prayer of a righteous person. Now, those of you who don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that's your first step. You've got to come to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has what? And not any kind of prayer, but a what kind? Earnest, effectual, fervent. 2013, in a positive way, will be the most awesome year you've ever had. If you forget all eight of the other steps and get this one, ask God for help. If you forget all of the eight other steps Eleazar took, if you forget all of those and you just remember number four, and you become earnest in your prayer life in 2013, you're going to see dreams come true in your life that you've never seen, that you, won't, that you really had almost given up on. Maybe you had given up on them. Let's get serious in 2013.